Once upon a time, a little mouse moved into the St. Marinera's orphanage. He loved to play games with all the other orphans, but most of all, Chuck E. loved learning to play music. He especially loved the song, Happy Birthday. Because Chuck E. was an orphan, no one knew when his birthday was, so he never had a birthday party of his own. This made Chuck E. sad, but not for long. Because with so many kids at the orphanage, there was a birthday party almost every week. Chuck E. loved birthday parties, especially because there was pizza. When Chuck E. wasn't learning music or singing or enjoying pizza at a birthday party, Chuck E. loved to play video games. His favorite game was called Pong. Chuck E. almost never lost. In fact, one day, Chuck E. won a Pong tournament. He won a trophy and $50. That $50 was enough for him to buy a bus ticket to New York City. It was his magic ticket. When Chucky first moved to New York, he was amazed by how big the city was. But despite being surrounded by people, Chucky felt lonely. He missed the kids from the orphanage. He had no place to stay. So Chuck E. would sleep above the kitchen in a pizzeria run by a friendly Italian chef named Pasquale. Chuck E. loved the smell of the pizza. Plus, he had plenty of music. Pasquale would listen to and sing along to the radio. It was a great place to live until one day. Chuck E., thinking Pasquale had gone home for the night, explored Pasquale's restaurant and was discovered. A mouse! screamed Pasquale as he chased Chucky around with a rolling pin. Pasquale had Chucky cornered, his knees knocking from nerves. Chucky couldn't think of what to do, so he did the one thing that always made him happy. He sang. Pasquale was so shocked he dropped the rolling pin. A mouse that can sing? My restaurant is saved. I'm gonna make you a star. Pasquale immediately changed the name of his restaurant to Chuck E. Cheese's, home of the world-famous Singing Mouse. On the grand reopening night, men and women crowded around every table. Pasquale proudly introduced Chuck E. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a Chuck E. Cheese, the world-famous Singing Mouse. When the curtain came up, Chuck E. was terrified. Chuck E. had never sung for so many adults before, and he stood there frozen. He couldn't do it. The crowd booed and booed and laughed. And Pasquale was heartbroken. So was Chucky. He didn't want to disappoint Pasquale. As Chucky stared out the window, the crowd poured out. He saw a young boy walking. He was holding his parents' hands and smiling. But most important, he was wearing a birthday crown. It was his birthday. Without another thought, Chucky began to sing his favorite song to the boy. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, little boy out on the street. Happy birthday to you. No one could believe it. Chucky could sing. The family came in. Pasquale made them pizza. And Chucky sang all night. Other families walking by would join them. It was the best night ever. From that day on, Chuck E. Cheese's would never be a place for grown-ups. It would be a place where families could bring their kids 
and they could just be, well, kids. Chuck E. Cheese's would always be a great place for birthdays. But more than that, it would be a place where every moment could be as special as a birthday. Time went on. Chuck E. and Pasquale were joined on stage by other friends. And Chuck E. even convinced Pasquale to bring in his other favorite thing, games. And Chuck E. hasn't stopped singing or smiling since. That, my friends, is a story that the Chuck E. Cheese Company posted on its website in 2012. It was taken down shortly after due to some backlash from fans claiming the background story was too depressing. Only one original copy remains on the internet, and that is what led us here today. I have countless memories of visits to Chuck E. Cheese, both as a kid and a father. Not all of them are good. Let's take a hard-hitting Dateline or 2020-style approach to learning more about the Chuck E. Cheese empire. Episode 39, The Rise and Fall of Chuck E. Cheese. Our story begins with a man named Nolan Bushnell. Bushnell was born in 1943 to a middle-class family in Clearfield, Utah. Growing up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Bushnell enrolled at Utah State at the age of 18 before transferring to the University of Utah, where he obtained a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Bushnell worked at a Utah-based amusement park while attending college. He became familiar with arcade games and midway games while watching customers play and helping to maintain the machinery and learning how it worked. Bushnell married his first wife, Paula, in 1966 and had two daughters. The couple moved to California where he hoped to catch the eye of someone working at Disney. When that didn't happen, he got a job with a company called Ampex, where he met his future business partner, Ted Dabney. The two shared common interests, and Bushnell laid out his idea of creating pizza parlors with arcades inside. In 1972, Bushnell and Dabney created their new company, a company they named Atari. Not long after, the pair released Pong. Pong became an overnight sensation, but it also drove the business partners apart. In 1973, Bushnell purchased Dabney's share of Atari for $250,000. In 1975, Atari entered the consumer electronics market with the release of at-home Pong consoles. It was around this time that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak approached Bushnell about investing in their home computer system, the Apple I. As former partners of Bushnell's, they'd built the Apple I from borrowed Atari parts. Jobs offered Bushnell a chance for one-third equity stake in Apple Incorporated for $50,000. Bushnell declined. Before the end of 1975, Nolan and Paula were divorced. In 1976, Atari was acquired by Warner Communications for $28 million. Bushnell stayed on as CEO and personally received $15 million of that money. 1977 was a big year for Bushnell, who built the first Pizza Time Theater in San Jose, California, oversaw the release of the Atari 2600, and married for the second time to a woman named Nancy, with whom he had six more children. 
The idea for Pizza Time Theater was to bring video game arcades to a family-friendly venue. Bushnell greatly admired Disneyland's Country Bear Jamboree. He wanted something like that in each of his restaurants. As he was assembling his first animatronic show, his main character was originally a coyote. The costume he purchased, however, was actually that of a rat. Rick Rat was the name he decided on. His marketing team thought it was a bad idea and offered up the name Chuck E. Cheese instead. By 1979, Bushnell recognized that he was no longer a good leader for the company and removed himself as CEO of Atari. Before he left, he negotiated the rights of Pizza Time Theater from Atari for $500,000. He also used the profit from selling Atari to Warner to purchase the former mansion of coffee magnate James Folger. By the end of 1979, there were seven California Pizza Time Theater locations. In 1980, competitor Showbiz Pizza Place opened its first restaurant in Missouri. There were lawsuits back and forth between Showbiz and Pizza Time, as some of Bushnell's partners had left to create the competitor. They settled out of court, and both chains did well for themselves over the next couple of years, as the world of video games grew in size and popularity. By 1983, however, the great video game crash was in full swing. Bushnell's Pizza Time Theater was hit hard and had lost nearly $15 million. As of 1984, Bushnell was in so much debt that he filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The owners of Showbiz Pizza bought the company and merged the two together, creating Showbiz Pizza Time Incorporated. The company kept both restaurants open until 1992, when all the restaurants became known as Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza. Two years later, in 1994, the name was shortened to Chuck E. Cheese's, and in 1998, Showbiz Pizza Time renamed itself CEC Entertainment Incorporated. As for Nolan Bushnell, he's been inducted into the Video Game Hall of Fame and the Consumer Electronics Association Hall of Fame. He was also named one of Newsweek's 50 Men Who Changed America. Bushnell is widely considered to be one of the founding fathers of the video game industry. He'll turn 80 years old next February. Boom. Backstory. So now we've met Chuck E. Cheese's version of Walt Disney. Let's take a look at the cast of characters who have long been associated with the restaurant chain. As you'll see, while some cartoon characters never age, it's been more of a Benjamin Buttons process for these guys. Charles Entertainment Cheese, better known as Chuck E. Cheese, or the Big C, is the mascot. He began his career as a hard-nosed rat with a red derby hat. Eventually, he softened a little and began wearing a tuxedo. In the 90s, his interest changed to sports, and he focused his energy on adventure. Nowadays, he's shed some pounds and is into skateboarding in the colors purple and green. Helen Henney has long been the main singer in the shows. She began as a hippie goose that played guitar, sometimes being replaced by animatronic guest stars. In 1984, Helen became a permanent member and dropped her hippie garb for a black jumper and purple cheerleading skirt. To this day, Helen remains the only woman in the band and appears even younger now, with golden feathers. Mr. Munch, also known as the Purple Pizza Eater, is a giant fuzzy purple monster. As the band leader of Munch's make-believe band, you could always find him sitting behind his keyboard. Munch was brought in quickly as a replacement for the 1978 character, Krusty the Cat, who was prone to stealing pizzas. Originally, Munch had a scratchy voice that has since deepened. 
It took Mr. Munch a while to learn the benefits of clothing, but he now wears an orange t-shirt, green pants, and green sneakers. He's been mistaken for both Barney and McDonald's Grimace character. Jasper T. Jowls is a hound dog who originally went by the name Billy Banjo Boggs. Jasper was originally an untamed mutt playing the banjo, but has since mellowed into a country crooner with a cheese-shaped electric guitar. His appearance hasn't changed much over time, except he's lost his wrinkles and sweater. Today, he wears a cowhide shirt and jeans. Pasquale P. Pieplate, who we met in Chuck E. Cheese's Dark Backstory, is an Italian pizza chef who plays the role of drummer in Munch's make-believe band. In the beginning, he served as the pizza order announcer. In the 1990s, he hosted Pasquale's Amateur Hour, where he'd tell jokes to customers from behind a brick wall. His look has never changed. He has curly hair, a large mustache, a checkerboard shirt, an apron, jeans, and tennis shoes. Throughout the nearly 40 years, other characters have come and gone. Artie Antlers, B.B. Bubbles, The Beach Bowsers, Dolly Dimples, a mountain lion that impersonated Elvis and Michael Jackson, Madame Oink, the French pig, and Sally Sachet, the disco skunk. Unfortunately today, Chuck E. Cheese works alone as the only character in person at his restaurants. The rest of the crew is brought in via satellite as part of the Studio C performance. As I mentioned earlier, my memories of Chuck E. Cheese throughout my lifetime are not always pleasant. I remember that it was always exciting hearing that a friend was having a party there. My visits, however, were always stress-filled. Broken ticket machines, tried to convince an employee that the game really did eat my token, wanting a prize that was 500 tickets, but I only had 422. The employees may have been nice, but for some reason, I've painted them all as the annoyed Santa's helpers in a Christmas story, the ones telling Ralphie to hurry up. Having a little better understanding of the issues in my brain, it's no wonder why a majority of my childhood Chuck E. Cheese memories feel panic-inducing. As a parent, the crush of people, the other rude parents, the shifty kids, didn't become less annoying and overstimulating, but at least now I had draft beer to ease the pain. I'm not sure if selling alcohol was always part of Bushnell's original idea, but it certainly has proven to be both a blessing and a curse. The one thing I was always a fan of was the animatronics. I haven't been back since they removed all of them. I'm guessing it was more cost-efficient, but for me, it's the last thing I loved about the place. Whether it's Disney World or Chuck E. Cheese, I've always been interested in animatronics. As a kid, I was in awe of moving and singing life-size characters, and wondered what they did at night after we all went home. As an adult with an overactive fiction-writing imagination, I often thought about how cool it would be to work on them, program them, maybe give them artificial intelligence and let them terrorize a small town. Five Nights at Freddy's creator Scott Cawthon broke into my brain and stole all of my unrealized ideas, however, and has created his own nightmarish animatronic empire, complete with games, toys, books, and soon, maybe, a movie. We'll touch on that more later. In researching the episode, I've stumbled upon a seemingly unending supply of Chuck E. Cheese horror stories that go well beyond the mascot's sad backstory. Lurid tales of murder, deception, and reused pizza pie. Type in the words Chuck E. Cheese fight into Google, and you'll get over 27 million returns in less than a second, with results as recent as three days ago in Peoria. 
Head on over to YouTube and type the same thing into the search bar, and you'll get Chuck E. Cheese brawl compilations, police body cam footage, and news stories of forgotten kids and birthday parties gone wrong. What is it about this chain of restaurants that brings out the worst in people? Cheap beer? Gambling children? A decades-old curse started by a scorned ex-employee? Of all the horrible, unbelievable, and sometimes hilarious stories, one stands out way above the rest. In May of 1993, 19-year-old Nathan Dunlap started a job at an Aurora, Colorado Chuck E. Cheese. Two months later, in July, Nathan was fired after arguing with his supervisor over the next week's schedule. He felt that the termination was unfair and vowed revenge. Fast forward to December 14th. Nathan Dunlap enters his former place of employment at 9 p.m. He heads to the counter and orders a ham and cheese sandwich and begins playing a few games. At 9.50, Dunlap ducked into the restroom and hid there until after the restaurant closed. At 10.05, he exited the bathroom and proceeded to shoot five employees, killing four of them. He fled the scene with a sack of game tokens and $1,500 in cash. Dunlap was apprehended less than 12 hours later at his mother's apartment. He was given the death penalty on May 17, 1996. His execution date was set for 2013. Dunlap received a reprieve from the Colorado governor at the time, and in 2020, Colorado became the 22nd state to take the death penalty off the table. Dunlap, who is said to suffer from serious mental illness, currently resides in the Colorado State Penitentiary, serving life in prison. The worst part about an already horrible story is that the man who fired him wasn't even working that night. Back in 2012 at the Chuck E. Cheese in Dearborn, Michigan, a woman was attending her grandchild's birthday party when the couple next to them started using loud, foul language. Like any good grandma, she asked them to keep the swearing down. The couple took umbrage and went bonkers on the poor woman. As children watched, the man beat up the grandmother, flipped the table over, and the couple fled the building. Whether they were ever caught is unknown. No names were released in the article. Fox 2 Detroit came to the conclusion that drunk adults and sugar-buzzed children are a dangerous combination. The grandmother didn't believe that alcohol played a role this time, though. She blamed it on their demeanor. Just down the road in Southgate, Michigan, the Olshansky boys, three and five, were celebrating their birthday. The party next to them was loud and inappropriate, so the boy's grandma said something. Apparently, the noisy partygoers collected their kids, scolded them, and then the parties went on. Until one of those partygoers heard the grandmother saying something else under her breath. She couldn't let it go. A 200-pound woman mounted the grandmother and beat her senseless, apparently trying to choke the life out of her at one point. The boy's father stepped in and gave out some Southgate justice, and the police were called. One of the boys, Robert, was quoted as saying, I don't want to go to Chuck E. Cheese no more. There was the violent clash of 2013, where 18 patrons at the Boynton Beach, Florida Chuck E. Cheese broke into an all-out brawl. Empty bottles of Ciroc vodka were found in various diaper bags. Brookfield Township, Wisconsin's Chuck E. Cheese saw 20 people involved in a melee that began when a kid took too long to exchange his tickets for a prize. Okay, that one I sort of understand. Back in Michigan, ah, oh, come on, Michigan, a little argument between three females at the Flint Chuck E. Cheese turned into an 85-person Royal Rumble. Dozens of officers showed up, pepper spray was used, but surprisingly, no one was arrested. So what do former employees of the restaurant chain think? In May of 2021, BuzzFeed asked their community for some comments. 
The feedback they received was not awesome. The Chuck E. Cheese costume is apparently only washed once a year, leaving a nauseating breath and sweat smell inside. An overwhelming amount of former employees blame everything on horrible parenting. The kids can be loud, sure, but it's the adults that ruin the fun. Pizzas are apparently made wrong on purpose sometimes so that the employees can have something to eat when the pizza is sent back. Girls are generally picked to be in the mouse suit due to the amount of times people try to punch Chuck E. Cheese in his mouse parts. Unclean ball pits, poo in the sky tubes, abandoned kids, dirty bathrooms, old salad, the list goes on and on. I will say, in Chuck E. Cheese's defense, none of those stories have been verified. In 2019, a YouTuber attempted to get the answers to a long-held conspiracy theory that leftover pizza is taken to the back and reassembled into future pizzas. Ex-employees, for all the bad that they had to say, think he's way off on that rumor. The health code violations would be insane. When COVID-19 hit, CEC Properties went into an estimated $1 to $2 billion in debt. Most stores are still hanging on somehow, but many of them added a delivery service through Grubhub under the name Pasquale's Pizza and Wings. Despite the food sold under the Pasquale name coming from the same kitchen as Chuck E. Cheese, the company claims to use different ingredients and recipes that cater to a more mature audience. I didn't start this episode off as a vehicle for bashing a much-loved restaurant chain. If a niece or nephew or friend's kid had a party this weekend, I'd go if not only for the possibility of a car crashing through the front door, a fistfight, or a trapped kid in the sky tubes. All of which have happened, by the way. It's like taking a week-long Disney trip and cramming it into 90 minutes complete with all the people, sounds, noise, and just some of the fun. But there's something about Chuck E. Cheese. Dave & Buster's is fun, but it's big and adulty and seems to have less trouble surrounding it. Maybe it's that I've known Chuck E. Cheese in some fashion my whole life, and have always felt mildly uncomfortable there in a curious-for-more kind of way. It's the car crash theory, I suppose. I can tell you for sure, without a doubt, the animatronics have something to do with it. That's probably why I've always had an interest in Five Nights at Freddy's. Full disclosure, I don't love playing it. My eyesight's going bad, so I have to hold my phone very close to my face. If you've never played before, the games are full of jump scares. Jump scares and a phone two inches from your face don't go hand in hand. When creator Scott Cawthon got into making games, he started off as a Christian game maker, family-friendly and full of values. It was only when people told him his first game's main character looked like a creepy animatronic that he got the idea for the nightmarish pizza place. Five Nights at Freddy's was able to rejuvenate a struggling horror game genre. Hello Neighbor, Poppy Playtime, and scores of other stealthy, smart games have become a major chunk of the gaming universe. Just ask your kids. Cawthon was able to create a game with a simple premise. Add in frightening, memorable characters, deep lore, and enough Easter eggs to keep people speculating and playing over and over again. Easy enough for a kid to try, and hard enough to keep the most avid gamers coming back for more. He's created a whole world of books and toys and games built on a simple premise. Animatronics are, at their core, creepy as heck. How about you? Any Chuck E. Cheese horror stories in your lifetime? Share them with me on any of the socials or email me, curator135 at gmail.com. Thank you to all of the patrons who are supporting the show on Patreon. I couldn't do this without you guys. Thank you to Dave, David, Jim, Marie, Laura, Vicky, and Chris for being a part of the team. 
If you'd like to become a patron of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash curator135. There are three tiers of support, or you can name your own donation. Please like, follow, and subscribe to Curator135 on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you enjoyed this or any of my other podcast episodes, don't forget to leave a five-star review. It really helps. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you. One, four, three.